You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and when I was in grad school, we had a question on the final about an assessment we were doing, and the client complained of having left shoulder pain. And you do an overhead squat assessment to see what's going on. And in the overhead squat assessment, without looking at anything else, in this situation, you just got the overhead squat assessment, and you saw the right foot turn out. The question on the exam was how could the right foot turning out in an overhead squat potentially contribute to the left shoulder issue. I was like, what the, what are you talking about? These people are crazy, but it's not as crazy as I thought people once were. When I first moved to New York and I had an exercise science teacher in um, uh, something I signed up for as a, a young and very new personal trainer, And she said something about her shoulder bothering her, but then she blamed it on her knee or her hip or something. And I thought, hip is right. This hippy-dippy nonsense ridiculousness. I moved to New York City, and already I'm being hit with this ethereal nonsense that, oh, my shoulder hurts, but that's because something down and somewhere else has nothing to do with the shoulder. I think I was wrong. (laughs) I think, actually, I wasn't being hit with this, uh, this... this hippy dippy, I was being hit with some science or at least scientific principles. And let me, let me just kind of explain some of these things. And today we're going to define some terminology. We're going to, we're going to define some exercise science terms. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to give a potential answer to the question that we just talked about. How does the right foot turn out potentially lead to left shoulder issues? And so, first of all, I want to talk about the human movement system, which is defined by NASM as the collection, components, and structures that work together to move the body, muscular, skeletal, and nervous. That's the human movement system, how these things work together to to create movement. And then there's human movement science, which can be described as the study of how the human movement system works together to produce, reduce, dynamically stabilize in multiple planes at various speeds in a safe and coordinated fashion. Produce, reduce, and dynamically stabilize. That's concentric, eccentric, isometric. To be able to do that in multiple planes, sagittal, frontal, transverse, and in between and throughout all three planes of motion. To produce, reduce, and dynamically stabilize in multiple planes at various speeds. Changing up that tempo, being able to control high-velocity movement, uh, change of speed in a safe and coordinated fashion. That's, That's a study of human movement science, learning how that happens and how that works. We also do uh, talk about kinetic chains, and we didn't really have a word for what we call now the regional interdependence model, which we'll talk about in a moment. Stay with me. (laughs) Stay with me. Because we had the kinetic chain, 
And the kinetic chain wasn't a good answer to this, but a kinetic chain as defined by NASM is a concept that describes the human body as a chain of interdependent links that work together to perform movement. Now we believe in the kinetic chain. We know the kinetic chain exists. In fact, you'll hear us when in NASM, we talk oftentimes about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. These are big, kind of larger global checkpoints that we might talk about. Head, shoulders, hips, knees, and feet. And you might hear those discussed in different ways, like foot and ankle instead of feet. Uh, and, and that makes sense. There might be a lumbopelvic hip complex instead of just hips. But head, shoulders, hips, knees, and feet. It's just an easy way to go in with that. That's kinetic chain. It's not the limit of it, but these are five major components of the kinetic chain. And so it stands to make sense, especially when you stand upright, that if you've got a weak link in the kinetic, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if you've got a weak link in the kinetic chain, especially when the kinetic chain is lower in the body, so foot and ankle, knee, hip, all these other things are on top of it. So you can see how the dysfunction might more easily travel up, might travel from the bottom to the top as opposed to top to bottom. Not impossible. How it, uh, There's also an argument in this world as to whether or not things start at the core and move out or things start at the, the lower body and move its way through the, the core and then throughout the rest of the body. Uh, I don't think that either of those is an impossibility. So I don't understand why there is an argument to begin with. It can come from either option, either proposal. And that's kinetic chain. We also have kinesiology. You've heard this. You may have met somebody and they say, oh, what did you study in school? And they say, I study kinesiology. And immediately you think, oh, you were a sports guy and you don't know what you're going to do for a living. So that's, trust me, I've been there. So kinesiology is the study of movement as it relates to anatomy and physiology. That is kinesiology. Well, kinesiology will have something to do with the kinetic chain. So will this next one, because there's a, there's a link between kinesiology and human movement science, which is, those are oftentimes used interchangeably, but also the next one, biomechanics, because biomechanics is the science concerned with the internal and external forces acting on the human body and the effects produced by these forces. Now, biomechanics seems to be a little bit more force and torque and lever and pulley and axis of rotation or fulcrum seems to be very focused on that. And we, we, like, we like that as well. So these are all kind of different versions of a very, very similar thing. And then... You take that and you say, well, if I'm concerned about the forces and I have a force down low, can it work its way to create and pull on my body in certain ways that leads from a dysfunction in the lower extremity to a dysfunction in the upper extremity? Well, the regional interdependence model shows some clear, clear links in, and, and maybe not so transformative or uh, we don't see as much distance in the research that goes, all right, we're, there's clear research, foot turns out on the right side, left shoulder pain happens. No, 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 no. We don't necessarily see that. Plenty of times we see the next major kinetic chain checkpoint being an issue, right? So I have something going on at my knee, 
it's not too far-fetched to think there's something wrong with either my hip or my foot and ankle. In fact, most knee issues that are non-contact, non-traumatic uh, in, uh, contact issues are not knee issues at all. They're foot and ankle issues and or hip issues. The knee is in the middle. I hate that. I hate that. That's such a good example. The knee is like the kid. And when the hip and the foot and ankle are like the parents that are arguing, it's always the kid in the middle that gets hurt. I know that's terrible. That's terrible. But I will say that I taught that in a class and then I stopped teaching it for a while because I thought, man, that's a that's Debbie Downer right there. And there was like a person who came to a workshop seven years ago and he was like, man, I still remember that that knee thing. Mommy and daddy, the knee in the middle gives the kid that gets hurt. Uh, he was like, yeah, that's for real, man. The knee always gets stuck between those two. And I was like, oh, all right. It's there. It's there if you want to use it. And if you don't, I can understand why. Totally cool. But if it helps you remember, I'm happy with it. I'm happy that's there. So I the regional interdependence model. It could be lumbar pelvic hip issues, right? There could be things going on at the hip that immediately affect the low back and vice versa. And we see that that's that can be pretty clear within the research. And, you know, the regional interdependence model, like there's a there's an interdependence between each one, where there is a link, something here is going to affect somewhere else. And, and with that, we knew something about this without necessarily knowing the term or what to even call it. So we just called it the kinetic chain being affected by other components of the kinetic chain. But the regional interdependence model gives name to that, that, that pieces are affected by other pieces and it can work its way through the chain. Well, how did you answer the question on that test? How'd that test potentially get answered? So what was the question again? It says, there's a final about the left shoulder in a client being in pain. In the overhead squat assessment, you see the right foot turnout. How can the right foot turnout lead to potential dysfunction in the left shoulder? And at this point, we could also say, based off an expansion of the regional interdependence model. And this is how it could, could potentially happen. It could potentially happen because when the feet turn out, the lateral gastroc and the biceps femoris or femoris rotate the knee externally. So when we say feet turn out and it doesn't necessarily mean the knee turns out. So the knee straight ahead, the foot turns out. That's a rotation at the knee joint. Lateral gastroc is tight. The biceps femoris is tight. That would be generally the short head of the biceps femoris, but that'll also pull on the long head. The biceps femoris becomes synergistically dominant. Synergistic dominance of the biceps fem, which is a hip extensor, can start to create weakness or allow the glute max to back off. That can lead to some issues in the piriformis. Also, a tight hamstring can pull on the, not just the ischial tuberosity, but it's got a ischial tuberosity where they meet also connects with the sacrotuberous ligament, which can pull on that ligament as well. That leads to some little dysfunction at the sacrum, but it's really the, the glute, when you look at the glute becoming a little bit weaker on that side, it can potentially lead to over or under activity 
on the contralateral lat based off the posterior oblique subsystem. And so if I have some tightness in that lat trying to make up for weakness in the glute where they work, um, they work together to create stability at the thoracolumbar fascia and at the SI joints, then that overactive lat on the contralateral side, so moving from the right side, weak glute to the left side, overactive lat, that lat, as it becomes overactive, can pin the left scapula into downward rotation while internally rotating the humerus, leading to altered arthrokinematics and eventually and possibly pain, shoulder pain. I don't know. There's a possibility. But as we go through and we learn more about regional interdependence model, the kinetic chain, biomechanics, human movement science, we, we start to build concepts. And I think concepts are good, but they need to be backed up by research. And it is good to play conceptual games because that helps us to expand our mind and gives us more opportunity to be like, hey, let's, let's see what research is out there that we haven't done. We got to think outside the box, but we still have to use the research that is to base a lot of our information on. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Like, subscribe, share with your fitness friends and family if you want to become an NASM personal trainer or continue your education with NASM. Check out our website at nasm.org. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so. Hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickritchie or you can email me at rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Thanks for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.